Hawks live every Thursday night at 7, live at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar in Bellevue's Lincoln Square. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling's Batch Number 12 Vodka. Come on, guys. Let me take over. And Legendary Donuts on 710 ESPN Seattle. Hey, welcome in to Hawks Live. See the usual suspects down here, Mikey, Sarah, Ian, and Angelo, who I called Alberto. <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry, Angelo. Thanks for showing up, you guys. Thanks for coming, everyone. You're listening to Hawks Live at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar. And for the latest analysis of the game from Big Ray Roberts, I'm joined with. Later on, we're going to talk to Chris Carson. We'll talk to, to John Clayton. And we'll get an opponent preview from Patrick Finley from the Chicago Sun-Times. And, and also later on, talk to our own Danny O'Neill. The show starts every Thursday here at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar, and we're sponsored and brought to you by Heritage Distilling's Batch Number 12 Vodka and Legendary Donuts. Ray, a tough loss. Now, I, I don't believe that there's a good loss. Right. There's never a good loss, right? But really tough game opening in Denver. I honestly thought that they were going to have a tough time winning that game. Right. I thought it would be close. And with some of the mistakes that were made, some, some plays maybe left, left on the table, Left out on the field, uh, missed field goal, dropped interception, a touchdown called back, able to you know still stay within three points, and they were able to get the ball at the end and possibly have a chance to win that game. Didn't get it done, but uh, what was your takeaway from uh, the Seahawks' 27-24 loss to Denver? You know, Dave, like uh, I, I came into the season thinking that um, it was going to be a roller coaster ride. And so I signed up for the roller coaster ride. So you know there's going to be some ups and there's going to be some downs, and sometimes it's not going to feel good on your stomach, you know, when you hit those hard curves and things. And uh, and so I think I, I kind of just absorbed it as that. Uh, there were some great things that were happening uh, on defense. We had the, the turnovers, like which they love to do, get the, to get the ball back to the offense. On offense, I don't think they gave the running game a chance, but there were some good things that were happening. Uh, but I just kind of looked at it as – this is kind of what I've expected, what I expect from the Seahawks. There's a lot of turnover. There's a lot of new guys. There's going to be some things that make you jump out of your seat and say yes. And there's going to be other things that make you want to sink in your seat and go, oh, my gosh, what's happening? And so uh, I, I think given all of that going into this game and the way it worked out, just like you said, even with, with all the good, the bad, and the ugly, they still had a chance at the end of the game uh, to get a drive and get a win. And I think that's how it was uh, – uh, there's going to be more games like that. And so you just have to kind of buckle your seatbelt and be ready to absorb that and ride that ride. You ever see the movie Parenthood? Yes. Where the, the old lady says, some people like the merry-go-round. It just goes round and round. <laughs> I like the roller coaster. It's exciting. It's more exciting. But, it is. It and is. I, I think that's what happens also when you start. I think I counted 165 snaps played by rookies on defense. And then, like, 225 without special teams overall because you had Will Disley starting on, uh, on the offensive side. And, you know, of course, you had the punter out there. And, mm-hmm. so, and Rashad Penny played in 25 snaps. So, you know, there was a lot of, uh, I thought, a lot to like. I think this game going into Chicago is going to have a lot to do. Danny O'Neill on our show asked the other day, does this team – rely will they rely on their rookies is that what's going to carry them right because you've got some major pieces you've got Dwayne Brown and, and Russell Wilson some superstars mm-hmm. and now I'd throw Bradley McDougald into that yeah. mix obviously Earl Thomas uh, KJ Bobby the whole thing but you've got some supporting staff with some of the guys like Rasheem Green and right. Shaquille 
uh, or I'm sorry, Shaquem Griffin. And uh, so, you know, Jacob Martin. And then, of course, Trey Flowers, who I thought played a really good game, all things considered. And, you know, it's just one of those things that I think uh, with Pete Carroll teams, you're going to get, when he was at USC, he started freshman. And here he's not afraid to take a safety from Oklahoma State in the seventh round and turn him into a corner and start him in week one. Well, you know, Dave, the, the, the thing about the whole rookie thing is that I would, as a rookie, I would rather be in the game learning, you know, on the job experience uh, than sitting on the sideline and waiting. Some positions that, that kind of works for a quarterback, you know, probably. But, uh, you know, the, the three rookies that I think uh, are going to have to be relied upon the most is Trey Flowers, uh, Martin, because I think he can provide pass rush, and then Penny, because he can kind of give you the explosive play. He gives you a, a big back with quick feet and, a, and something different than Carson. Those are the, those are the three guys. Uh, I, I really think that Rasheem Green is just going to come on as the season goes on because now he's playing against, against big boys and not the third or fourth team tackles and guards and things. Right. So it's going to be a little bit. And then Shaquem Griffin, <clears throat> I think his, his biggest contribution is going to be on special teams. Uh, and so, um, but uh, but those three rookies, I think, are going to play vital roles in how the team progresses. Having said that, um, I like what I saw in all of them. Like the, the, Trey Flowers made some great plays, but he but he gave up some plays, which is going to be expected. Uh, uh, Shaquem Griffin seemed a little bit overwhelmed, a little bit yeah. uh, wasn't where he was supposed to be, and all those kinds of things. But we know what he's capable of, so he has opportunities to get on the field and and, and help out that way. The, the thing I said is, like, the, the Seahawks, to me, are going to be like a roller coaster. And if you're kind of signing up for something other than that, then you're either going to be uh, underwhelmed by what's going on or you're going to be trying to sell it too much. So, like, you have to be willing to ride the ebbs and flows of it because with all the new guys, uh, it's going to be that way. You, you can't expect anything else. Well, and I think you, one of the things to watch – this week, well, first of all, will be how the rookies react. Uh, Trey Flowers, how do they react to having been thrown in the fire? Um, you know, Rasheem Green is a guy I really like on defense. And, you know, he was out there for, I think, 40 snaps. And, you know, the only thing I, I saw from him is maybe he got up field a little right. bit too much. But other than that, he looked like he totally belonged. You, you mentioned Shaquem. And so, you know, look for, I think, the improvement going forward from, from the young guys. I wanted to ask you, Ray, um, if you'd have told me before that game that we we're going to get sacked six times, I would have said that looks like a disaster. Right. It really didn't. And, you know, this was and, – and there was a couple times where Russell admitted, yeah, I kind of ran into some. And then there were some things where also you have to tip your hat to Von Miller. Ray, apparently he's a pretty good football player. <laughs> apparently. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that. 2011, going back to that year, nobody's had more sacks. He had three sacks in this game. Quarterback hits, grabbed himself a fumble. And, and by the way, remember, Chris Carson's going to be here at 8 o'clock, and we're going to talk a lot about him and how good he is and how good he looks. But as far as the blocking goes, tell us a little bit about because I know that Pete in his press conference yesterday was kind of protective of Jermaine right. Fetty. Don't be pointing the fingers. And that's, that's one of the things that I think fans overreact to a little bit and when you see just the numbers. But take us through what you saw from the on- offensive line. Well, well first of all, the reason that um – it's important for Russell Wilson to acknowledge his role in the sacks. It's because in the pregame show, I, I remember uh, Paul Moyer was saying that, you know, taking a sack on third and t- 15 or whatever it is, is, is okay. And I'm like, well, not really. 
Because when, you, when people look at the headlines and they see six sacks, they're going to account every single one of those sacks to the offensive line. Right. So then you, then you start to assume that the offensive line played terrible. But if you look at, like, uh, J.R. Sweezy, who had very limited practice uh, and then stepped in and played, he played pretty good for a guy who hadn't dusted off the, uh, the rust in a long time. And then even the Fetty, uh, yeah, he got beat by a dude who's a potential MVP, defensive MVP, even league MVP votes. Um, I, I thought he did okay. There was there was some some technique issues uh, with him that kind of hurt him a couple times. But more than that is that the Detroit the uh, Denver Broncos did a good job of scheming the blocking the blocking the protections of the Seahawks. So uh, they, I think they were bringing a lot of pressure upfield from uh, our defensive left side, forcing Russell to step up into pocket, and then they ran a tackle and uh, around stunt where right. Von Miller comes right to the spot where Russell's going to step up into. And so they did a really good job of scheming it. Another time they showed like eight guys in the box, and you have to block protection inside out, and then those inside dudes dropped out, and the outside dude came and got the sack. So a lot of that, uh, some of that, it looked ugly sometimes for the offensive line, but a lot of it was schemed from, the, from Denver, and then you had, I would say, at least three of those sacks were, uh, were Russell's fault. You know, that yeah. some, one time he could have gotten the ball out earlier, uh, his propensity to scramble and those things. But I, I think overall I would say that you, you can't give him a great grade because you lost the game. Sure. But, uh, but I would say like probably like around a C. I, yeah. I give him a C in, in, in the, if I had to give him a, a letter grade. Well, and I'll tell you what, you're going from, uh, what do they call it, the frying pan into the fire now. Yeah. You go from Von Miller to Khalil Mack, who uh, is going to be there in Chicago. And I, I think, you know, I was thinking about Jermaine Effetti. He, uh, on the plane, was watching, you know, we're all watching the Green Bay <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, Chicago game and probably thinking, oh, boy, here we go. So, well, I'll tell you what, speaking of the Chicago Bears, we're going to get an opponent preview. That's coming up next. Uh, we dive into week two. We're going to talk to Patrick Finley from the Chicago Sun-Times. That's next right here on Hawks Live. Hawks Live at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar in Bellevue's Lincoln Square. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling's Batch Number 12 Vodka and Legendary Donuts on 710 ESPN Seattle. Hey, welcome back to Hawks Live. I want to thank Pearl for their just delicious food. We get dinner before the show tonight. They had an awesome steak salad. Come on down to Pearl to enjoy all the drink and food specials they have going on right now during today's show. And on the line right now we have for an opponent preview, Patrick Finley from the Chicago Sun-Times. Patrick, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Hey, anytime, guys. How are you? We're doing great here. And uh, I'll tell you what, take us through that roller coaster of a game. Had to have been disappointing last week against the Packers. uh, But uh, tell us uh, what was the reaction there. Was it bitterness afterwards? Or were you thinking, hey, we can hang with this team? What was the feeling? It was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. Um, you know, the Bears' first half, you know, Khalil Mack was unstoppable. Uh, the Bears' defense looked like world beaters. And then Aaron Rodgers pulled the Willis Reed in the second half, and uh, that's one of those things I'll definitely tell the grandkids about, being able to see that. Uh, the Bears weren't so happy with it, obviously. They were pleased with uh, what they flashed early on. They're disappointed they couldn't finish it, and part of it is just that it's Aaron Rodgers, guys. I mean, he has been tormenting them for so long, and there was some thought 
that with a new coach and a new offensive system, maybe those days were over or, or would be coming to an end. Uh, they didn't come to an end Sunday, uh, but they actually feel pretty good about seeing them later in the year when Khalil Mack will be up and running, Roquan Smith will be up and running, and the Bears hope they'll have a better football team. Hey, Patrick, uh, speaking of Khalil Mack, um, we all know what he can do as an individual and how he impacts the game individually, but how – uh, have you seen his impact throughout the defense or throughout the locker room uh, that maybe elevates uh, other players or what impact can he have on players that way? Well, you're right. I mean, just the fact that he's going to draw double teams, triple teams, stuff like that, that will help Akeem Hicks, who's a Bears defensive end, who is very quietly one of the best uh, in the world at what he does. Uh, Leonard Floyd's a former first-round pick from three years ago. He hasn't had that breakout season yet, but you figure if it's going to happen, it's going to happen with Khalil Mack on the opposite side. And just in terms of what he means to the locker room, guys, you know, the Bears played in the Hall of Fame game, which meant that they had five preseason games. It meant that they reported to camp early because they had a new head coach. They actually got more OTA practices uh, than some other teams. No team played more football between the day after the Super Bowl and the start of the season uh, than the Chicago Bears. And, you know, it's exhausting. And it's, and it's, uh, it is frustrating and it's a slog. And to get, you know, maybe – one of the two best defensive players in the world on your team, you know, <laughs> what, what, eight days before your season opener? That was just energizing for the whole group. And, you know, they walked around for three days looking like they just found a brick of gold walking across the street. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. We're talking to Patrick Finley from the Chicago Sun-Times. Uh, Patrick, tell us a little bit about Mitchell Trubisky. Now, the first thing I saw after he got drafted in the first round, he goes to the NBA game, he comes to town, and everybody boos the poor kid. He goes out and has, plays pretty decently as a rookie, but does uh, he look like the future at quarterback for the Chicago Bears? Yeah, welcome to Chicago, right? <laughs> you know, the, the yeah, poor kid right. gets booed because the, because the locals didn't like that Ryan Pace gave up draft picks to move up one spot and draft him. Uh, yeah, you know, he's coming along. You know, he has played or he started 13 NFL games now, and he started 13 college games ever. So this is a guy who, in the big picture, is just a baby. Uh, and, you know, the Bears have been quick to say, Matt Nagy has been quick to say, that this is going to be a work in progress for him and that he's not going to get it over overnight. One of the things Nagy talks about is, you know, when he and Andy Reid got to Kansas City, they traded for Alex Smith. Alex was an eight-year veteran when he joined the Chiefs, and it still took him two and a half years to fully get the Andy Reid offense. That's how complicated this thing is. You know, uh, Mitch Trubisky's not going to get it in week one or week two or week three or week eight, or maybe it's even at the end of the year. It's going to take time. Uh, the Bears have patience. Fans don't necessarily have that same patience. It seems like every game he plays is a referendum on whether he's ever going to be great. Uh, you know, he had the ball with a chance uh, to beat the Packers, and it didn't go very well. So it's been a rough week for him, and Mitch even acknowledged that uh, this week, that he wants to be great and that he was probably trying too hard there at the end. Well, you, if you look at both teams, uh, both teams are dealing with newness. Uh, a young quarterback, uh, you know, for Chicago, a new defensive end, new coach. In Seattle, we have a lot of turnover with the players. Both teams had a chance sure. to win their opening game. Uh, if, if Chicago is going to um, – what should we see in Chicago in their attempt to win? If, if they're going to win the game, uh, who, what players and, and what um, uh, actions are going to happen to allow them to win? And then on the, on the other side, if they were uh, for Seattle to win, what do you see Seattle having to, to take advantage of? 
you know, beside the obvious, you know, the quarterback playing well, Khalil Mack playing well, I'd keep an eye on Jordan Howard. Jordan Howard is quietly the last two years been one of the fe- best five running backs in football statistically. Uh, you know, he averaged five, a little more than five yards a pop on uh, Sunday night. But, you know, the Bears had third and one four different times in the fourth quarter and never gave him the ball. Uh, I expect them to lean on him a little bit more. I expect them to uh, try to wear the Seahawks down, which I know is a tough ask for a team that's so good at rallying to the ball. Uh, but I'd I look to Jordan first. I'd also look at just kind of the general uh, you know, attitude and, and uh, excitement level coming from the Bears, particularly in the first quarter. This is a young team with a new coach. We don't know how they're going to handle uh, you know, a pretty catastrophic loss to their rivals uh, the week before. You know, there are two ways to take that, as you guys know, and uh, you either use it to help yourself or, or you let it beat you twice. So uh, that's what I would watch. In, in terms of struggles, or, you, know, uh, you know, what would be a bellwether for a Seahawks win? I think Trubisky uh, turning the ball over. He didn't uh, the other night, and, and that was a point in his favor. Uh, it, you know, if he fumbles or throws a pick, uh, that's obviously to the Seahawks' benefit. Uh, yeah, and, and just, you know, the, the general – whether the Bears defense can pick themselves up off the mat, you know, they had four sacks in the first half against the Packers. They had zero in the second half, and that's because Aaron Rodgers was getting the ball out quick. I imagine Russell will do the same. I imagine he'll do what Aaron does, which is use his legs to get guys open. Uh, and if the Bears have made adjustments from one week to another, they should be able to handle that better. If they don't, that's a very good sign for Seattle. We're talking to Patrick Finley from the Chicago Sun-Times. And, you know, you mentioned Jordan Howard. I really like him, Patrick. I, I like watching him. And you mentioned that uh, maybe they'll get him the ball a little bit more. I kind of felt that way with Chris Carson yeah. for the Seahawks, mm-hmm. that, uh, a guy that they, we expect to see him. But tell us a little bit more about him. That kid, boy, I'm looking at his rookie year. He got, what, 12, 1,300. He's good for about 1,300 yards rushing a year for his last two years. He's a very young guy in his third year right. out of Indiana. What's he, what's he bring to the Bears' personality? <laughs> He's funny. He's a fifth-round pick, and he was actually a healthy scratch in his first-ever NFL game. I'm not sure the Bears knew exactly what they had, uh, and then by midseason of his rookie year, it was clear he was really good. He's got great feet inside. He's a big guy who gets better with use, uh, one of those uh, running backs that likes to get lathered up. Uh, the big takeaway from Sunday night was that he caught five passes. Uh, this is a guy that in his first two seasons, I think, led all NFL running backs in drop percentage. His hands were bad. Uh, he got LASIK surgery after his rookie year. Uh, this past year, he was catching tennis balls and catching footballs all off season, trying to get his hands better because uh, to be in this Matt Nagy offense, to be a three-down back in it, you need to be able to catch the football. And it was a tremendous benefit to him that he was able to do that uh, in week one. He talked about even the confidence that comes with being able to do it, uh, especially after he put so much work in. So uh, that was a good time for him. Tariq Cohen uh, is the Bears' uh, you know, backup running back, scat back guy. He's 5'6", 180 pounds, um, a, a completely different kind of runner. But the two of them are the kind of thunder and lightning that when they're both going well, I think it's hard to find a duo in the league that, can, uh, or that compares to them. So, you know, you're talking about um, some of the newness of the Chicago Bears and the coach is new, uh, and his first time yep. being a head coach. And I, how has the team um, taken to him and his culture and, and, the, and the way his style? I know they had something about his, it was called like the swag nag or the naggy swag or something going on like early <laughs> in, the, uh, in the season. Uh, talk to us a little bit about, uh, about the head coach. First of all, he pronounces his own last name, Naggy. 
but I think the team pr- uh, prefers to say Maggie, so it'll rhyme with Swaggy. I, I think that's just public relations at this point. Um, no, he's, uh, he's a breath of fresh air. He's 40 years old. He's uh, never been a head coach. Shoot, he'd only called g- uh, plays for about eight games before the Bears hired him. But what they really liked about him was uh, his offensive mind, uh, his organization. Andy Reid uh, told people that he was, as ready, he was the most – uh, ready assistant he'd ever had. And if, when, you, when you consider that, what, a third of the league is populated by Andy Reid disciples, that's a pretty good uh, statement. Uh, and he's come in and he's just brought an, an energy and an excitement that John Fox really didn't have. Uh, the Bears tried to rebuild uh, with a veteran coach, and that was just a bad combination. You know, they had Jay Cutler for, you know, two of John's three years here. Uh, you know, they threw the rookie quarterback at him his last year. And, you know, he was coaching for his job, but uh, but the front office was uh, managing the team uh, is more of a long-term play. Uh, Nagy's gone over well, and you know part of it is his play calling. You know, and, and let's be real here: if the Bears' offense is good, that means Matt's done a good job, and if it's not, it means he hasn't. You know, they've surrounded him with weapons for Mitch Trubisky, whether it's signing Allen Robinson, drafting Anthony Miller, uh, signing Taylor Gabriel, uh, signing Trey Burton. I mean, those are four receivers who are going to play a lot of snaps this week, and. Uh, you know, there's some thought that it's put up or shut up time uh, for this offense. You know, you know, they have the quarterback, they think they have the play caller, they think, and, and they paid a lot of money uh, to make that work. Uh, so, yeah, that falls squarely on, on Aggie. The, the one thing about him that I found really interesting was, you know, he kept the entire Bears defensive staff from their defensive coordinator to every position coach. And that was a nod to continuity and, and them trying to improve, you know, the 10th ranked defense in the league last year. I don't think a lot of young guys would have done that. I, I think that that's a hard move to make is to keep veterans around. Um, and I give him a total credit for doing it because Vic Fangio, as you guys know, is one of the best in the league. Well, Patrick, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Uh, Patrick Finley from the Chicago Sun-Times. And uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, appreciate your time, man. Hey, sure thing, guys. All right, coming up next on Hawks Live, uh, Ray Roberts and I will go inside the film room. You know, Ray and I coached high school football together for two or three years, and so done some coaching in our times. We're going to look at some of the explosive plays, including an unbelievable hurdle by Chris Carson. But that's next. We're going to break down three plays inside the film room. That's next on Hawks Live. Hawks Live at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar in Bellevue's Lincoln Square. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling's Batch Number 12 Vodka and Legendary Donuts on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Hawks Live. Ray Roberts and Dave Wyman. Every week we go inside the film room and just like Paul Moyer when he's here, old coaches, we're all coaches at heart, right? Yes, Take sir. a look at three plays. And the first one, Chris Carson's spectacular hurdle. By the way, Chris Carson, who's going to be here at 8 o'clock, his, he hurdles a defender for a 29-yard gain. Chris Carson back in as the single setback with a slot near side. And Carson gets it. And he wow. jumps over a man at the 10, 15, 20, down the far sidelines and steps out of bounds. Holy mackerel, Chris Carson doing his Skeets Nehemiah impression, jumps right over the top of the defender and picks up 24 and a first down. You hear that guy in the background going, wow, that guy should shut up (laughs) when Rabel's trying to call the play. But uh, Skeets Nehemiah, remember him? (laughs) Yes. Not very many people. I guess Rabel got all kinds of blowback because people don't remember Ronaldo Nehemiah. Right. But one of the greatest hurdlers of all time. And, Ray, the first thing I saw on that, 
Jermaine Effetti got a good block on, yeah. on, uh, on Vaughn Miller on the edge. I also saw that uh, the receiver that came down, I can't, couldn't tell if it was Brandon Marshall or Jerron Brown, but mm-hmm. both guys got a good block. I kind of washed that down. And then Chris Carson did the rest. And I just, I think Chris Carson is is a key to them. If Him having success this year is a key, particularly to their running game. And he's, he's a guy that just, he's explosive. Uh, I don't think he showed, has shown any residue of an injury from right. last year. And uh, that hurdle was one of the more spectacular ones I've seen because that's hard to do. The guy was practically standing straight up when he jumped over him. Well, the, the thing about Chris is that we talk a lot about his size and how, how hard he runs and all this. But the thing that we probably don't talk enough about is his vision because there was a lot going on in that play before the hurdle came. So the Seahawks were actually running a trap uh, in the middle of the offense. Denver was, was slanting their defense into the trap. And so then all of a sudden when Chris gets the ball, he puts his left foot in the ground and goes the opposite way of, the, of where the defense is slanting. And so then that sets up for a big run to the, to the right side. And then his leap, uh, you know, after the game, they're asking, like, you know, how do you prepare for that? And he had just said that he was tired of people. He was tired of getting hit and low so, so much. And so he knew that this was smaller defensive back was probably going to go low, so he just timed the jump, which ended up being spectacular, making ESPN. But I think it speaks – that one play speaks to uh, the, the find that they have in Chris Carson, to be able to, to have the vision to make the cut, to have the ability to make the cut, because some people can see the cut but can't make the cut. He saw it, made it, and then also made something else happen just with his pure athleticism and hurdling another player to gain another five or ten yards. So I, I think it speaks volumes to – the find that they got in him out of Oklahoma State. Uh, you know, we'll hear later uh, about his story and how he ended up being a late-round draft pick. Uh, but he is clearly, to me, the number one running back for the Seahawks. Well, and you know, we're going to hear, yeah, like you said, about him. I th- he's got an interesting story going back to actually back to high school and an injury he had that kind of sort of uh, – directed him in, in kind of a, a crooked path to get to the NFL. Next play, Tyler Lockett. Now, we know the Seahawks like to take shots. Yeah, Pete wants to run the ball, but they like taking shots downfield, and they did, and Russell Wilson hooked up with Tyler Lockett for a 51-yard touchdown. Russell from the shotgun. Play fake to him. Russell's going to half roll right. He's going to stop. He's going to pump. He's going to look. He's got Lockett deep. Lockett makes it against 10. 5. Touchdown, Seahawks, 51 yards, Russell, roll right, stop, throw back left, lock it, wide open between the defenders, downfield, and Russell was not going to miss him, he did not, the Seahawks take the lead, 23-20. Boy, that was, that was a long throw by Russell, and you know, Ray, you and I were talking about this play where a lot of times what I've seen them do is they'll run like a bootleg where Russell rolls all the way out on the edge. It's a play-action fake away. And then there are a few where he kind of checks up. It right. doesn't do the full rollout. This was a long-developing play. And Tyler Lockett ran like a, a, a corner post. Right. So he kind of faked to the outside, influenced the safety to sort of jump over and help the corner who was covering him and then cut back across the field. It was a long-developing play. And Russell, one of the few guys with the arm strength to make that throw that was just right on the money and hit Tyler right on stride. Well, I, I think this is what you're going to see in Schottenheimer's offense. Like, they, they started the very first game, uh, one or two plays of the game running that type of action. 
uh, to get the defense to start chasing the zone run to the left side or the screen to the left side. And if you see on that play, you couldn't tell if they were running zone run to the left side or if they were setting up the screen. So you get the whole defense flooring to the left side. You have Russell running to the right side. And the thing I like about the route is that the corner route was originally run to the side of the play. So he gets the, the safety coming down, thinking he can kind of come over the top of that. Then you run a corner uh the, I mean, the, the post route back against the backside of it. And so it takes a lot of time, but the play action helped set that up. And it was a play that they set up early, early, early uh, in, the, in the game where they were running screens and running zone to the left side. Yeah, and that's the thing, you know, you got to get the run going, of course, first. And really, the Seahawks didn't do that. There was another really good play action pass, the touchdown to Will Disley. Yes. And that, um, that I, I thought was just perfect timing and a lot of it you mentioned with uh, with chris carson same thing with russell wilson to run a, a good play offensively it involves a lot of really good timing yes right and having a sense for that and sometimes for guys like chris carson it's something that you can't really teach right yeah. you can't and, and also for for schottenheimer uh you, you can see that he's trying to adjust to what he has. So if the, if the pure drop back passing is getting a lot of, you're getting a lot of pressure and Russell's running out of there and you're getting sacked, well, then one way to buy time to throw the ball deep is play action. And so he's done a really good job of incorporating that into the offense. It'd be cool to see once they connect it all to the running game, the play action pass game and the running game all together to see uh, the types of plays they can come up with. Next play on defense, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of questions about with Cam Chancellor leaving. Can Bradley McDougald fill his shoes? And uh, Bradley McDougald came up with two interceptions this game. Earl Thomas has one, and here's one of Bradley's, I think, more spectacular interceptions I've seen in a long time. Keenum from the shotgun, rolls right, stops, has time, looks, throws down the middle. He throws an interception, picked off near side. It's McDougal, far side, 30. 35-40, turns up field, has blockers midfield, cuts back inside 45, is dropped at the 41-yard line. Case Keenum comes right back on the field and takes it right back from the Denver Broncos. I'll tell you what, you know, the, the degree of difficulty on that on that interception, he had to, you know, get it mm-hmm. from, uh, you know, keep it from touching the ground. And, and Bradley McDougall, just the timing, the way he jumped that route, it, it's a tough one. And, uh, you know, I love seeing the way the safeties work together right. in, in this game. Earl had one. And, you know, and you, when you ask Bradley McDougal, we interviewed him the other day on our show, and, uh, you know, he was sort of lamenting over the one that he didn't get. There was one early on that Earl tipped, and he tried to dive for it, and for some reason it just squeezed out of his hands. But I had two interceptions. The other thing about him, Ray, was that I could hear a couple of the hits that he made up in the booth. Mm. And I was pretty high up. So guys playing a lot like Cam Chancellor used to be, and I don't want to compare him to that because he's his own player, but the two interceptions were pretty spectacular to think, man, the guy had a chance for three. Right. I mean, this guy's around the ball is what that means. But the thing I like about uh, Bradley and, and, and what he did in this game is that you could hear this coming the whole entire offseason. As soon as the – Holdout thing became apparent, and that uh, that Earl wasn't going to come to camp or mini camps or what have you. I remember him being on your guys' show, uh, McDougal, saying like, "I'm just going to do whatever I have to do uh, to fill those shoes." So like, if I have to learn free safety, strong safety, I'm going to do what I have to do so that I'm prepared for it. And then throughout the season, I mean, throughout the off season, you could hear him talking about how he wanted to be a leader on this defense. And so for to know that he was putting in that type of work. And then for it to show up on Sunday uh, was a big um, 
I guess a big hands up to his preparation, his approach to it, uh, the, the things that he wants to get accomplished and how he wants to play in the defense. And so I think with the safety showing up the way they did, it, it gives you a lot of hope for what the secondary can look like and what it can be like. And for them to be able to get the ball back to an offense that is young and still trying to figure out what they're doing to give them more opportunities for points. All that said, I thought the best thing that I heard from Bradley McDougald or saw anything that he did was on Q13 afterwards, he was doing an interview. It was Earl Thomas doing an interview, and Bradley McDougald was in the locker next to him and screaming out, like, supportive things about <laughs> Earl. Like, that's right, he's back. Yeah. You know, this is Earl. He's the man, all this stuff. You know, and that, He's a hype man. Yeah, and, you know, you can see how much he embraced him. And, you know, I know whatever people think about Earl because of a holdout, it's a business side of the game, and everybody, you know, does that and takes care of their business you can see that guys in that locker room love earl and i just loved seeing that kind of support from bradley mcdougall because you know you know this ray i mean yeah. it's one thing we used to call it upstairs and downstairs <laughs> upstairs is go take care of your money yep. get your contract signed downstairs is all football and uh, you saw a good example of that with bradley mcdougall in the locker room afterwards. yeah and you also heard during all season how uh, some of the guys were even talking to earl like trying yes. to understand it and so that's one of the things i think got lost in the whole earl thing is that he was still leading his way even though he had to take care of his business right. and so uh mcdougall i think probably um uh benefited from some of those conversations yeah and some of the young guys also like tedrick thomas uh, uh, thompson they told us that uh, that they heard from earl and he was helping him out so really good to see there well coming up next on hawks live we'll talk to the professor john clayton that's next Hawks Live at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar in Bellevue's Lincoln Square. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling's Batch Number 12 Vodka and Legendary Donuts on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Hawks Live. Ray Roberts and Dave Wyman. And now we're joined, as we are every week, by the professor, John Clayton. John, how are you? I'm doing great. How about you? We're doing good. Uh, you know, Ray and I were just talking about kind of recapping this game. I feel like the further we get away from the, the Bronco Seahawk game, three-point loss, the more sort of encouraged we are. And, you know, they had a lot of chances to win that game. Uh, you were down there on the sidelines, John. Just tell us your general impression of that game. Well, I mean, <clears throat> you can see it was so predictable that they were going to have problems, mainly because they had so many elements that just weren't right. I mean, for example, you have three players like – Earl Thomas and J.R. Sweezy and Dion Jordan that had maybe a total of like less than 10 snaps or 10 days where they were practicing in the training camp. Okay, that's not good. <clears throat> then you have you know six guys that are either first-year or rookie players out there playing 25 or more plays. You're going to have communication problems. You're going to have problems in the fact that uh, you haven't played a full game. You're now in Denver, a mile high, 84 degrees. All those things were working against this team. And so you're going to make mistakes. You're going to have problems. And now it's a matter of it's like, okay, you see where the problems are. Now the coaching staff has to fix them. So, John, if, after watching the game and, and the things that you just said, you, you pinpointed some of the, the challenges, but what are some of the things that you saw offensively or defensively that the Seahawks did hit on, like things that they can, that they can use as, to pull from that game to, to grow as they, as they 
address some of the challenges? Well, I, I think you can see the talent of this rookie class. And again, maybe it's asking too much early. It's almost like in Buffalo asking Josh Allen to take over the offense in week two. That's almost too much. But here you have Trey Flowers out there for 72 plays. I mean, you have uh, Shaquem Griffin out there trying to start for uh, you know a great uh, weak side linebacker in K.J. Wright. I mean, you have that issue. I mean, you have J.R. Sweezy. And so I think what it comes down to, you see a great rookie class. And it's like you can see these guys and start. Will Disley, you know, coming out there, first game, 105 yards on three catches. I mean, that's real encouraging. So you can see that the talent's there. Now it's a matter of just refining that talent and trying to have it fit in. So, again, you're not rushing things because in the ideal situation, you go back to like when uh, Marcus Trufant got hurt, you know, back in Richard Sherman's rookie year. At least Richard Sherman had time to, you know, sit there watch, develop. I mean, now in the case of these rookies, they're coming out there and doing everything early. Well, now, you know, they're experienced. They've got a little bit more time. Now it's just focusing on getting the improvement of the play better. So talking about this rookie class and the the players that you just named and and they're playing right away. So if, if I'm a fan of the Seahawks, what should I expect from the rookies as the season goes on? Should I expect constant growth or should it be a roller coaster ride? What, what are the expect, expectations on the rookie class? Well, I mean, I, I think it's how these guys adjust, and I think you can see these guys have the ability. Now, a little concern when you see Trey Flowers play 72 plays and he misses practice today with a hamstring injury. You don't think that's serious, but you just don't know. Uh, you know, you want to make sure, because, again, where this team is right now in some issues is that, you know, they're thin. Because when you start to take away that front-line talent that they lost, you know, with the five pro bowlers that are no longer with this team on defense, you know, there's now some voice. And so guys have to start rushing ahead. I mean, you have the talent to be able to do it. How long that talent develops is going to be the big question mark with this team. But there's talent there. And I think the big thing that you can see, particularly, it's more so on defense than anything else. You know, there's going to be young guys that I think are going to be really good. But the offense has to carry the defense, at least for the first early part of the season. And unfortunately, they didn't have the running game. They were shaky in the pass blocking. You know, offense has to carry the defense for the first time in maybe five or six years until the defense catches up, which I think they will. But right now, it's up to the offense to do it. And, you know, they scored 24 points. That's encouraging. But they need more running game, and they need more plays on offense. Hey, John, uh, Uncle Will, Will Tissily, yeah. that, that, ru- that was the ultimate rumbling, bumbling, stumbling <laughs> run, right? That was like mm-hmm. old... Chris Berman would be calling it. What that looked like from uh, from down there on the sidelines? Did oh, it looked like he was moving fast, or was it looked like it was slow motion. How to look? Well, I mean, I mean, because again, he's not the fastest guy. Because you're talking about a defensive lineman that transferred and become a uh, tight end, so he's not necessarily going to be fast, but he's got great great ability. Again, he reminds me so much of Zach Miller. And again, of course, Jack, Zach was a number one pick of the Oakland Raiders. Came here six point nine million a year and did such a great job because he was a complete tight end. Will Disley. Is is a complete tight end. You can see it in his blocking, but now you can see it in his pass-catching ability and what he's able to do. And, I mean, this guy, to me, has starter written all over him. When he's able to claim that job, still in question, but I think that you can see this guy is going to be, I think, really, really good for this team. Hey, John, when you talk about the offense having to carry the defense, uh, and Russell was sacked six times, and I think he may have taken responsibility for two or three of them, what will, along with the running game, because I don't think they ran the ball enough right. in the game, but along with the running game, what can Russell do to help um, 
Keep the office in front of the chains. Well, I, I think what it comes down to is it just he, he just has to manage and you know make sure he doesn't rush things. And again, this more I think this is more on Brian Schottenheimer than it is Russell Wilson. I mean, they came out with the intent to pass the ball. Uh, try to go big play more so than they wanted, I think, to run the ball. Now, again, I mean, you realize that uh, Chris Carson, uh, I think, right now looks really good running the football. He has seven carries, 51 yards, but you can't have Chris Carson with seven carries and 54 yards, 51 yards. You've got to get him with more carries and get that going so you set up more second and threes. I mean, I know today uh, Pete Carroll was talking about you need more third and fives and third and fours, and that's what they need. They didn't have that last year. They didn't necessarily have that in the first game I think the encouraging thing was you know even though they only had such a limited number of plays on offense they still still scored 24 points I mean for this team to be successful two two or three things have to happen one the running game has to be there number two the defense has to hold opponents to 23 points or less I think they have the talent to be able to do it first game again don't make rash decisions and don't make rash judgments because again you know a lot of things weren't in place in week one but now they've got to start settling down and if they can hold teams to 23 points or under I think their offense is good enough to score 24 or more and now they're more on the winning side than the losing side trying to keep these initials straight we got DJ Fluker JD McKissick CJ Procise and KJ Wright is that right (laughs) there you go okay so uh, anyone with DJ Wyman Uh, and RJ Roberts (laughs) uh, Matthew's the middle name here John okay all right KJ you think no chance? No chance. For no, this game? I, I, I just okay. don't see it. I know he's and run the last Doug, two days. Right? Outside chance, but I'd still say no. Okay. Same with Doug, you think? I said, Yeah, same thing, because I think that's a two- to four-week injury. By the way, what an interesting signing today, at least in agreement with Michael Kendricks. Yeah. I thought well, that was interesting you know, because what you're getting is probably for minimum salary or at least him taking the chance on this team. And apparently they pushed the trial back now to January 24th. I mean, they get a starting caliber outside linebacker who can come in and really help this team a lot because this guy was pretty good. I mean, he was doing great stuff in Cleveland before the insider trading charge came up. And, uh, you know, now, you know, at some point, you know, he's going to have some kind of sanction from the league. But, boy, I, I, interesting sign that they were able to get in Michael Kendricks yeah and he's a good he's a good linebacker and here's the thing I've, I've come to trust the Seahawks and and John Schneider and Pete Carroll on is that you know we hear the charges and the maximum penalty and things like that they've vetted him right they've right. talked to him and obviously they wouldn't do something that would entirely blow the team up or make them look bad from a standpoint so I think that there's a lot more that we're going to find out about Michael Kendricks mm-hmm. and you know they're they're not in like such a desperate situation that they would hire a guy like that right. at the you know at the jeopardy of possibly losing you know some fans or whatever. Right. So I just think you know wait until the information comes out on that guy. And you're right, yeah, he's a good player. How about uh, DJ Fluker? I still think it's going to be tough. Hamstring injury for a 343-pound guy. You know, I know back even in the OTAs, just standing there and saying 343, got some ankle problems, got some knee problems. Can he play 16 games? And you wonder about that. I think it's a little bit of a pressing. You know, Pete Carroll's not going to rush things in this early in the season. I mean, he realizes this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And so it looks like uh, J.R. Sweezy will get to start for the second straight game. All right, John, uh, league-wide, some uh, interesting scores. Uh, I talked to you earlier today about Dallas going out to Carolina, Ray, only scoring mm-hmm. eight points in the fourth quarter. That was shocking to me. What about the Bucks putting up 48 on New Orleans? 
Was that game in Tampa? I think it was in New no, Orleans. No, it was in New Orleans. It was in, it was in oh New Orleans. My gosh, that, yeah. that, was, that was surprising to me that they, they went and did that. New Orleans put 40 on the board, but Buccaneers uh, getting a win at New Orleans is no, and surprising. For, particularly, everybody thought with Jameis Winston out and the fact they're starting against New Orleans, Philadelphia, and Pittsburgh, that they were going to be 0-3. To be 1-0 and is incredible. And then to have Ryan Fitzpatrick, the old Harvard sage, coming out and throwing for 417 yards, that's huge. Again, one of the biggest surprises of the day and something that kind of changes that division. You kind of wonder. Now, we know New Orleans starts out th- slow. They've been 0-2 the last four years. They haven't won a uh, game in the first two weeks since 2013. So it's like, okay, they're slow starting, and they can kind of turn things around. But that's a big win for Tampa Bay. Hey, John, uh, with the performance of uh, Sam Darnold with the Jets, does it put pressure on the uh, Cleveland Browns to get Baker Mayfield in the game? No, not at all. I think what it comes down to is like when Mayfield's ready, you put him in. In effect, I think what you want is Tyra. Because remember, I mean, you know, you have a couple factors going here. Hugh Jackson's fighting for his job. He's had one win in now what thirty-three games, and so uh, I mean, you got more experienced quarterback. And so if they get off to a bad start, well, he could lose his job. But if not, then sometime, you know, in the latter part of the season, you can get Mayfield in. Mayfield, I think, is going to be a good starter, but at least temporarily, they've got to stay with Taylor. Hey, John, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. And uh, I'll talk to you tomorrow. All right. Sounds good. There goes the professor, John Clayton. And coming up next, as promised, one of my favorite players to watch right now, running back Chris Carson. That's next on Hawks Live.